0: Well, good morning. Much more lively than the first bunch. Well, you know, they had to get out in the cold and all that this morning. If you have your Bibles, take it and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, the passage that uh, Pastor Keith read for us this morning. I hope that you've had a great Christmas season, New Year holiday. We have as a family, we uh, just got back from vacation and we had a good Christmas with family Spent a great New Year's Eve with uh, great friends of ours, and it's just been a great week to uh, be together as a family, when with friends, and to celebrate. And I hope that you've had that, that opportunity as well. Well, it's a new year, and it's a new decade. I just thought of that this morning. I had to alter my notes. I didn't realize until this morning that we are actually in a new decade of uh, lifetime, and uh, it's a great opportunity to just stop and think about, what was, and to look forward to what might be. It's a new new time, and it's a new year, it's, it's a new time for new resolutions, and for new diets, and for new exercise programs, all of which have been broken already by all of you, and uh, it's a time for new hopes, it's a time for new dreams, and it's a time for new promises. It's a new year, and all things are new. You know with every new year 's holiday, there comes with it the opportunity to stop and reflect back on what was what did this year hold for us and and what did this year um, what what did this year have for us in our homes and in our families and collectively as a church family and and uh, some of you some of you are really uh, nostalgic like that you like to stop and to reflect and to think back on what was and you like to 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 sit at the the brink of a new year and look forward also to what might be and dream a little bit about what might what God might have for us and have for you as a family and your your children and we did that in our home the other night we sat around the dinner table and asked the kids you know what was your favorite part of 2009 what did you like and you know our answers were filled with toys and vacation and foods and those kind of things And then we let the kids answer. Um, And then we kind of thought about 2010. So what what do we want to do in 2010? And the kids um, were trying to answer that too. So we, some of us, like to do that—to look at the new year and say it's a fresh start. It's a it's a new time. It's a new opportunity. Let's let's pause for a moment and look back, reflect, and then let's also look forward to what may be. Others of you um, may just simply wake up day in day out, and you know it's just a new day. You know, I've had to stay up late, or maybe you went to bed at 10:30 on New Year's Eve. No big deal. You woke up. It's New Year. Got to scribble out a few checks that you miswrote. Now you got to write 2010, and you know it's just another day. It's just a new new day. It's nothing nothing fancy. You know, you just got to get up and go to work tomorrow. And and if that's you, that's that's okay. That's that's the way you approach life and approach. season, But for today, regardless of how you approach January, I wonder if you could just for a moment wonder about what this new year would be like. Regardless of whether you're one of those uh, deep thinkers and you look back and you look forward or, or you just wake up and you just keep moving. I wonder if for a moment today I could capture your imagination and just ask you to think forward to dream about what this new year would have for you. In your worship folder, there's a blank piece of paper. And um, it's not to take notes on, but if you have already, that's okay. Um, And it's not for New Year's resolutions. We're not going to do a big service sermon on resolutions and make you write down a whole bunch of things that you'll break by the time you leave the parking lot um, as you fight traffic. And what I wanted to do was just give you a blank piece of paper. And to think about the fact that as the new year starts, what will be written on that piece of paper this year as it relates to your life and to your home? It's a new start. It's a clean start. When we come to the end of 2010, a year from now, what will be written on that paper? What are the the joys and the, the excitement, the trips and the the great things that God has blessed you with, what would you write down on that paper? On one side of the paper, it may be filled with your frustrations or your struggles or the the challenges that that God brought you through. But today as we sit here, it's, it's blank, it's fresh, it's clean, it's new. It's a new start. It's a new opportunity. All things are new today. The Scriptures remind us that God's mercies are new every morning. And so as we enter 2010, another year where all things are new, we can rest assured that God's mercy is new for us each day. Each day is a new experience filled with renewed mercy and compassion from God. Regardless of what you write on your page regardless of what ends up being written down, God's mercy is fresh each day. His compassion and His love is renewed for you every day. And so as we journey through the year, having numerous um, new experiences in our lives, we can journey with God right beside us and His fresh mercy. I mean, when I have my birthday in a few months and I turn 25, Okay, even the kid knew I was making up. 30, when I turned 30. Um, it will be a new experience for me. I will have never experienced, honestly, 39. For, no, that's real. That's am not I'm joking about that. I will have never experienced 39 before. It's a fresh opportunity. It's a new start. Every one of you that are married and and you have an anniversary this year, it'll be a new opportunity to experience that anniversary. You've never had your 10th or 15th or 20th or 25th or 50th wedding anniversary before. It's a fresh start. Some of you have never um, been out of college before. And it'll be a new experience for you. Some of you parents like me... um, uh, My oldest is 11, and I've never been the father of of an 11-year-old before. It's a new experience. Completely frustrating and maddening at times. But it's a new experience where God's mercy is new every day. Some of you have never been married before, and maybe that will change this year for you. Some of you have never known retirement before, and you are moving into that station of life. And as you move into that station of life, God's mercy is new every day. This is a new year. All things are new. And God's mercy is fresh. Corporately, this is a new year for us as a church. Let me just for a moment point to the elephant in the room. This is our first January without our senior pastor we are all living in a new reality. We express it, we feel it, we embrace it all differently. But we experience it together. And in this new year, as we live in this new reality together, God's mercy is fresh. You know, as we stand at the brink of this, This new year and and even this new decade. Not all the news will be good. Not all of it will be celebrations. In fact, some of us, some of us this year on a page that is yet to be written in our life, some of us in this new year will receive a phone call in the middle of the night and death will have come to our family. Some of us will receive information this year from a doctor that's not positive. Some of us will receive a letter of termination. Some of us will come home to see that our spouse has packed their bags. Some of us will catch a glance, share a drink, or send a note that leads to unimaginable hurt or pain. Some of us will simply want to quit. I don't know what this new year holds for you, and and I don't know what this new year holds for me either, but I know this, there's one choice that I can make that makes the, the, a world of difference in how I approach this new year and where I will be at the end of this new year. There's one choice that I have that will change everything as we approach 2010 together. The choice is where to fix our eyes. The writer of Hebrews is reminding the, the Christian community, both in the ancient days and for us as well today. The writer of Hebrews is reminding the church community, that Jesus Christ is all sufficient, that Jesus Christ is all that we need, both for life here on earth and for eternity. Jesus Christ is sufficient to fulfill the needs that we have today, and Jesus Christ is sufficient to bring to fruition the promises of faith that are held in eternity, If you read through the book of Hebrews, on almost every page and every chapter, it's filled with the sufficiency of Christ. He is enough. There is no one else, there is nothing else that is needed to fulfill our lives both today and in life eternal. He is the one. He alone completes the promises. Look at how the writer of Hebrews encourages the church and us to live our lives both both today and in the days ahead in this new year. He writes this in Hebrews chapter 12, he says this, therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now if you read this In context, you would have to go back and you would read chapter 11, where in chapter 11, the writer says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients, those saints, those great heroic people of faith in the Old Testament were commended for their faith. People like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, they were commended for the faith that they had. You see, when they served God, they didn't have a picture of Christ. They had a promise of a Messiah, but they didn't have the picture of Christ as the New Testament writers had and as we have today passed on through the generations. The saints of old... The ancients were commended because although the picture was fuzzy and unclear, they had faith. They held on to a promise. They held on to something that God said would be and trusted that it would be. And because of their faith, they were commended. They serve for us as the writer of Hebrews talks, not only in context with his audience in the scripture, but to us as a church today. Those people listed in Hebrews 11, they serve as a testimony. They are a cloud of witnesses whose very lives speak to us today that say to us, you can have faith too. In the moments when it's hard to believe, in the moments when it's hard to move forward, in the moments when you think you can't go on anymore, you can have faith. You can trust the promise. You can trust all that God has said because we have trusted and we have found Him to be faithful. Our lives, this cloud of witnesses, our lives serve as a testimony to you that you can carry on. They weren't perfect. In fact, if you read down through the list, and you think of even the other great um, champions of faith in the Old Testament, they weren't perfect. They came from broken backgrounds, and some of them made choices even after they trusted Christ, even after they put their faith in God for righteousness. Even after they did this, many of them, many of them made choices that were just completely unimaginable. They were commended. Not because they were perfect. They were commended because they were focused. They focused on the promise of God. And when they focused on the promise of God, they realized that what God has said is both possible and is filled with blessing. The anchor of their hope were the promises of God. It is possible to live. They speak to us and say to us from the, dark, from, the, from the times of past, they speak to us and they say it is possible to live by faith. It is possible to not have every question answered. It is possible to trust on the promises of God and to walk forward on nothing else but God's promise to you. It is possible. And you can experience the blessings of God even if we are as imperfect as we are. Therefore, the writer says, since we have this great example of people living with faith, he says this, let us throw off everything that hinders. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And he says, let us run the race with perseverance. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Throughout the Scriptures, the life of faith, faith in God, our faith that brings righteousness, this relationship that we have with God throughout the Scriptures, it's, it's pictured as a race. It's pictured as something that we run. It's pictured as something that we have to train for. It's pictured as something that we have to discipline our bodies for. It's pictured as something that we must persevere in and we must endure. If we want to be a people of faith, we need to train. We need to be determined. We need to be disciplined. We need to run and we need to persevere and endure. We want to win the race. And so the writer of Hebrews picks up on all of that those word pictures that are used throughout the New Testament. And he speaks to this again. And as he does, he, he, he points out two things for us that for sure, two things for sure, that if, if we don't rid ourselves of these two things, they will throw us off course and they will stunt our growth in faith. The first of these is things that don't matter. He says, he says let us throw off everything that hinders us. Let us throw off anything that hinders us that which becomes an obstacle to us growing in our faith and achieving what God has for us. Whatever whatever we have wrapped our lives with that hinder us from pursuing more of God, we're supposed to throw that off. Now, for many of us, we would look at the, those kind of... Um, uh, situations in life, those kind of relationships, those kind of experiences as either good or bad. And so the bad things we would want to be rid of. We want to step aside from the bad things in life, the bad areas, the bad people, the bad experiences, so that they would not hinder us In our growth. And while that is good, that is not necessarily what the writer is saying here. The writer is making no distinction between what is good and what is bad. He's saying anything that hinders us is to be cast off. You see, we can measure it ourselves in earthly terms and say, God would not be pleased with this, so I won't do it. But God must, you know, since this friendship and this relationship and this environment is not evil, it's not sinful, it's not wrong, then it's okay for me to be involved with it. And by and large, that would be true, except when the writer of Hebrews says, if it hinders your growth if it is something and if there are things in your life, anything, whatever hinders you in your growth, in your faith, in your running this race, even if it's a good thing, even if you measure it and you look at it and you analyze it and it's not evil, it's not wrong, it's not bad, if it hinders you, if it comes between you and your relationship with God, Break it off. End it. Find a new hobby. Find a new challenge. Find a new uh, uh, friend to hang out with. End it. If it hinders, cast it aside. The challenge for us today would be to take a moment and examine our lives and ask ask ourselves, what is it in my life that actually hinders me from God? What is it that hinders me from running this race that has been marked out for me? What is it that hinders me from, from having all of what God wants for me? As we look at 2010, as we stand on the brink, January 3rd, with everything, all the possibilities in front of us, what, what is it in my life that would hinder me from experiencing everything that God wants me to experience for the blessings and the honor of Him that He wants to show in our lives? What would hinder me from that? I need to get rid of it. Identifying it is the first step. Having the courage to remove it is the next. The second thing that will stunt our growth or veer us off course is sin let us let us throw off anything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. the sin that wraps around us, that squeezes us in, that throws chains around our feet that keep us from running this race. We need to deal honestly and sternly with the sin that is in our lives. And again, the writer is not speaking to a specific kind of sin. He's not speaking to habitual sin alone. He's speaking of all sin. When we recognize it in our life, get it away. When we see it creeping into our heart and into our soul, confess it and be done with it. Do not let habits develop through the sin that tempts you. It will squeeze in around you, it will hinder you, and it will keep you from running the race that God has for you. If we do not, if we do not throw off anything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, we will never run with perseverance. And here's the emphasis that the writer speaks to. The emphasis in this consistent walk in faith. Consistency is born out of perseverance. Perseverance, as Donald Guthrie writes, is pushing to the end in spite of difficulties. Pushing to the end. In our walk with God in this life that we live and we call ourselves Christian in it, we push on despite its difficulties. Yet too often, too often when things get hard and things get difficult, we quit. We just give up. And, you know, maybe maybe we don't quit outwardly. Maybe we still put on a good face for other people. Maybe we still walk into church every week and sing the songs and, sit with our friends, and but inwardly, in our heart, many of us have just quit. It wasn't fair. It wasn't right that these things happened in my life. I don't understand why God would allow this to happen, so I, I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to try to learn from it. I'm not going to try to grow through it. I'm not going to try to find the joy on the other side of it. I'm just going to quit. Some of us stumble into sin, and and as we are living in sin, we think all is lost, and so we, we just give up. Life gets hard. We deal with death and illness and job losses and frustrations, the loss of leaders, and we quit striving forward in our faith. We just stop. It's easier to quit than it is to persevere. But let it be known that when we quit in our faith, we quit. God has never and will never quit on us. We are the ones that have given up. We are the ones that have stopped. But God never gives up on us. Which is why it is written in Hebrews twelve two Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was before Him, He could see through the pain. He could see to the other side. He knew that on the other end of scorn, on the other end of shame, on the other end of pain, if he could just persevere and get through it, he would understand the joy that God had for him and the people that would call on his name. He understood that and he persevered. You don't have to look far. You can go back into the Gospels and you can read where Christ himself in his flesh asked, can this pass from me? Can we go another route? Do we have to go through this? But in His divinity, He knew He had to go to the cross. So He went to the cross, scorning its shame, because He understood the joy that was on the other side of it. He knew, if I can persevere, it's for the glory of God. Let us then, in all that we endure, in all that we experience in this race of faith, let us fix our eyes on Christ. Where is our focus? What have we locked on See, this idea of fixing our eyes is not, is not a panoramic view of life and culture. Fixing our eyes is to give one's full attention to one thing, At the exclusion of all else. To give our full attention to one thing. At the exclusion of all else. So in this new year, where all things are new, let us fix our eyes on Christ. Let us put off the things that hinder us. Let us throw aside the sin And let us fix our eyes, be locked onto, give our full attention as individuals in our homes, with our families, in the marketplace, and as a church. Let us give our full attention first and foremost to Christ. For some of us though, the temptation is to be fixed on, locked onto the past. See if we fix our eyes on the past, we will always be rehashing what was. Now I'm not talking about having moments of of nostalgia when you're flipping through a picture book. I'm not talking about never sitting down with friends and remembering the good old times. I'm not talking about never going out to lunch with people and and talking about the great hunt that we that we had um, or could have had. Um, This past year, I'm not talking about, you know, never getting on Facebook and talking to old friends from high school or revisiting the the what was what we've done this last. I'm, I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about fixing, locking our focus, locking our focus on the past. When we lock our focus and fix our eyes on the past not only will we work to recreate the excitement of our glory days, but we will also wallow in the misery of our failures if we're fixed on the past. We'll never truly forgive someone if we're fixed on the past. We'll never truly let go of hurts if we're fixed on the past. And for us as a church... Facing a new beginning with an interim pastor who will be here next week, we will never give new leadership a chance to challenge and inspire us if we stay fixed, fixed on the past. Christian businessman Gary Hamill, who was recently ranked by the Wall Street Journal as the world's most influential business thinker, states that large organizations don't worship shareholders or customers. Large organizations worship the past. If it were otherwise, it wouldn't take a crisis to set a company on a new path. Large organizations do not invest in their shareholders, do not invest in the people, they invest in the past. They hold on to and are locked onto the past. And when they are, they never move forward. They never see a preferred future. They never see what God would have for them. They're locked into what was. They're locked into the past. And large organizations that are locked into the past never move forward until there's a crisis. And then they realize, boy, we better do something. Or we're not going to survive. We're locked into the past. We fix our eyes in the past. We will never move forward. Church. Church people, as families. You see, if we're fixed on the present, we will move from day to day taking care of the urgent and the immediate. I don't think we need to fix our eyes on the past, and I don't think we need to fix our eyes on the present either, because present, past lessons will be forgotten, and future plans will never be made if we're focused on the present. The tyranny of the urgent will cloud our vision for a preferred future. And if we fix our eyes on the future, we will be tempted to run before we can walk. We will miss the lessons that each new day brings to us. We'll never stop to smell the roses. And we will miss the small whisper of God. And we will miss the daily fresh mercies of God if we're locked in the future. You see, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Let us fix our eyes on Christ, the author, the creator of faith, and the one who perfected it. Let us fix our eyes on Him. And so in this new year, Jesus is enough. When our faith is lacking and when our stamina is all but gone, when we are weak, consider Him. Consider Him, Hebrews 12.3 says, consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here, we're, we're back again to perseverance and endurance. This race, this run of faith, that we have in our lives, if if we want to persevere, if we want to endure, don't look to the past, don't look to the present, don't look to the future. Fix your eyes on Christ. Consider Him. Put your energy and attention on Him so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. When the goodness of God washes over your life and family, Rest in Him. When His blessings are unimaginable this year, when the sheet that you pull out today is filled with the goodness of God as you move through 2010, rest in Him. When the days grow long and the dark nights grow even longer, rest in the arms of Him who loves you. And when this new year feels like an eternity, rest in it. Imagine that today your soul can find rest. You've been running from God today, you can turn back to Him because He's never quit on you. Imagine today that your soul can be energized and that if you've been struggling and have lost the will to even fight today, Well, this is a new day, and God's mercy is new today. Imagine that your soul and your faith would endure and not lose heart. But if you feel like you've reached your limit, be encouraged, because God has more for you. This table that we approach this morning is a great reminder of all that God, through the writer of Hebrews, has spoken to us today. It's a table of endurance. It's a table of perseverance. It's a table that is authored and perfected by Christ Himself. And if you think about it, it's a table of rest. As Amy comes to sing this song, I'm going to ask that you just take these moments. Reflect on what God has been saying to you this morning. Maybe there's something you need to write for this new year. Maybe there's some new direction that He's giving you. Reflect on what God has shared with you this morning and prepare your heart for communion that we will share thereafter.